This episode of The Minimalists is brought to you by nobody. Because advertisements suck! You're damn right they do. Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Hey, y'all, let's record a podcast. All right, well, we're really grateful you're here tonight, and I'm, I'm grateful to bring up a, a guest onto the stage. Very few people, there, there are very few people, I, very few people I can say this about. Um, so there are very few pe- authors that I've read every single one of their books, and uh, I think it's like David Foster Wallace, Mary Carr, and, and our guest tonight. Um, I think this is, he just put out his 11th book, and he's one of Time Magazine's 100 Most Influential People in the World, and uh, we're really grateful to share the stage with him tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, Rob Bell. So usually what we do at, at these podcasts, we take phone calls, but don't whip your phone out and call us up just yet. We have a microphone somewhere. Sean, do we know where that, where that mic is? It's somewhere. Oh, Matt's telling me. Did any of you see our documentary, by the way? Well, if you hated it, you can blame Ryan. But if you loved it, you can thank the man who's here on the stage filming a little bit of this, Matt Diavella. So uh, what we usually do is we answer a handful of questions, we'll give some long-winded answers, then we'll move on to a lightning round. But before we do that, and I'm, I'm sure Rob will want to participate, the lightning round, what we do is we give like really pithy answers, and we, we, we usually have a week to craft something that's very tweetable, but uh, we have like seven seconds now, and so we'll just wander on a bit until we get something that, is, uh, that, that we can share with you, and you can share on, on the Twitters or or whatever, yik yak, whatever you kids are doing these days. So, so Rob, you, uh, you just put out a new book. And let me, let me talk, let me just back, go back a little bit. You put out a book last year called How to Be Here. And um, yeah, How to Be Here. Um, One person. <laughs> well, but I, she really loved it. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping there, there will be many more because uh, th- this book, so, I mean, everyone here knows our story. If you didn't, when you walked in, you do now, right? I mean, we've caught you up until this moment, basically. And uh, my partner, Rebecca, she, um, you know, she's, she was working for a university for like a decade and it got to a point where she didn't necessarily hate it, but she felt like she wasn't doing something meaningful with her life anymore. She had at one point, but her, you know, as life changes, she felt like it was time to graduate from that. And I can tell you that all, all of my bloviating may have helped a little, but nothing helped more than Rob's book, How to Be Here. And she decided to walk away from that last year after reading, after reading How to Be Here. So 
I want to say thank you for that. I've, I've bought that book by the case and handed it out to people, uh, either on our podcast and other places as well. So thank you for that. And then, and then last year, you, you also you put out an audio book that wasn't a book, uh, a project called Launching Rockets. And uh, I was hoping you could talk about that a little bit because quite often we get people who, who show up at our events and, um, it, you know, the first thing that we hear is like, well, you know, I'm not, you know, I have kids. All, these, all, all of these, these excuses come up and, and I found that that, that audio book, Launching Rockets, it was you and your wife, Kristen. It's like you, you had these 17 principles and then she would sort of correct you at the end of it. And uh, yeah, I, I, loved, I loved the format. I love the idea, especially in today's sort of podcast world, where you can, you, can, you can put something out there that is essentially an audio book, but it is not, it, it, uh, there's no book that belongs to it. What made you want to do that? Because uh, I noticed when I was out touring and doing questions like you do, how many parents had questions about their kids, and I would say, my wife Kristen and I have three kids, 19, 17, and then we took a, two boys, then we took a nine-year break, and then we have an eight-year-old girl with long blonde hair named Violet. Are you kidding me? Who owns me? Um, but what's interesting is somebody would come down, well, there's a mic right there, somebody would come down, they would ask a question, it would be about their kids, and you could feel the anxiety in their question. And I would have the sense like, if I'm feeling their anxiety in their question, what's it like to be that person's kid? Because your kid isn't a bucket into which you pour all your unresolved anxiety, fear, and worry about your own life. Are you with me on this? My wife, Kristen, when our son was a sophomore in high school, went to a college prep meeting for, for parents of high school sophomores and high school sophomores. The counselor had to stop the meeting partway through and call out the parents for the level of anxiety in the room. We cannot continue unless you all calm down. <laughs> this was high school sophomores. And that how many people hadn't, I just noticed how many people hadn't done their own interior work, of their own fears, worries, anxieties, things that haunted them. And so their kid was this wonderfully near uh, receptacle to just place all of that on. So I just begin with your greatest thing if you're a parent is not, your first job isn't to raise your kid. Your first job is to enjoy them. And if you start there, it's just a fundamentally different place. And some kids, you know, can be hard to enjoy. So <laughs> in that moment, you have to double down on, dear God, give me one thing today, even a tiny little fragment of a sliver of something good about this child. <laughs> so, because right now I'm barely hanging on. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, the rest of you, you're about seven years out, but trust me. Uh, so that's where it started. And then, uh, like in the Launching Rockets thing, uh, I talk about, oh, and then I would also, when people ask questions, I would say, my kids are still at home, so anybody whose kids are still at home should not be giving parenting advice. But I do have some observations, um, which sort of gets you off the hook. Then I would just, yeah. Well, I can tell you, so, so when I met Rebecca, she had a, a one-year-old. And so uh, we have a sort of an unconventional sort of you know, sitcom-esque family now w with respect to, you know, she has at least three parental figures in her life. And I can tell you that the anxiety thing was so, was so true because... 
uh, it was so easy for me. It, it, was in, it, it built my, or she built my own anxiety, which I then dumped off on her because I didn't really have the mechanisms to, to deal with a kid. But I met someone that I loved so much that I, I dove all the way in head first and, and wanted to embrace that. And so, you know, thank you for giving me at least a little bit of a, a framework there. And then this year, uh, you just put out a book and it's called, What is the Bible? And now it's really hard to get me to read a book about the Bible. I mean, I grew up Catholic, so we didn't even read the Bible. You didn't even read it the first time. Right. So why would it be even really interesting? <laughs> and so like, I'm like, now, okay, well maybe this is the cliff notes, but it's not that at all. And, and you're gonna do such a better job of explaining it than me. And, and so I am, I'm currently halfway through the book. And I, one of the things that stood out to me early on that you never hear has to do with, uh, one of the ch chapter titles was, but who paid Jesus's bills? So who paid Jesus's bills? Did we just go from parenting to who paid Jesus' bills? I can't wait for the third question. <laughs> well, well, let me back up and say, what I just observed is how many people have no idea what's in the Bible. So if you're like, are we seriously gonna talk about the Bible right now? Hold on a second. What I noticed is how many people had no idea what's in the Bible, as particularly conservative Christians who claimed they were the ones who were the most faithful to it, actually had nothing, knew next to nothing about it. So let me just back up and say, the Bible was written by a small minority group of people who had been conquered by one global military superpower after another. So this small group of Jewish people had been conquered by Egyptians, by Persians, by Babylonians, by the New Testament, it's the Romans. One massive military after another had marched in and taken over. So if you are the citizen of the most powerful global military superpower the world human civilization has ever created, if you're an American, you are 5% of the world's population living in a country with about 43% of, of the world's weapons. Uh, how many military bases does Russia have outside of Russia? Eight. France? Seven. Does England have six military bases outside of England? How many military bases does the U.S. have outside of the U.S.? Is it 660? So, it's really, the Pentagon a couple of years ago spent a billion dollars on advertising. And as we all know, advertising sucks. So, by the way, who, who spent that billion dollars on advertising? So, if you read an ancient book that is deeply critical and suspicious of global military superpowers, and you're a citizen of one, there's a chance you might miss some of its central themes. Because when it talks about care for the poor, when it talks about peacemaking, when it talks about the widow, the orphan, and the immigrant, you might, if the system works for you, miss the fact that this book is by people for whom the system doesn't work and they're calling out the system for its injustice, for its consumption, for its exploitation, for its misuse, misuse of wealth and power. How are we doing so far? So. That's why, that's where the book, just for those of you who are like, we're not going to get a Bible thing. And so when you hear a Bernie Sanders who says, whether, wherever you are politically, when you hear a Bernie Sanders who says, if you have a widening gap between the rich and poor, that's going to be bad for everybody. He is directly channeling 
the Hebrew prophets right there in the middle of the Bible. So a lot of ideas that people now think are progressive, um, living with intentionality and simplicity, um, these are central themes of the Bible. Wait, we didn't come up with it? Well, <laughs> you branded it quite well. <laughs> so, well, so then, uh, so you had a question in there. But anyway, that's, I always just say that preference for people who are freaking out. So that's just very interesting to me that thousands of years ago, the things that we are talking about, people were talking about. Well, I've, got to, I've got to tell you, and Ryan can attest to this too, whenever we'll go out to an event, like we did an event in Jackson, Mississippi a few years ago, and this nice young couple came up to us and they said, it's great to see a couple Christians out here spreading Jesus' message. And I just said, thanks. Because here's the thing, a few, a few weeks later we're in Seattle, someone walks up and says, it's great to see a couple guys out here spreading these Buddhist maxims. <laughs> And I said, thanks. <laughs> and I got an email later that year. And it said, uh, did you know that Muhammad was the original minimalist? And I said, thanks. <laughs> and, and what's interesting about this and what's interesting about your work, Rob, is I think in, in a way, like what Ryan and I do is appealing to, a, I mean, as you can see, a broad spectrum of people. And, and that's because even Ryan and I have radically different beliefs, but we have the same values. So I'll give you an example. Ryan and I, if you look at, look at us on the Myers-Briggs personality test, we have exact opposite personalities. We're yin and yang. But we also have, you know, he, he's an extrovert, I'm an introvert. Um, one of us shows up on time, one of us doesn't. And, um, I'm just fashionably late. Uh-huh. <laughs> and um, well, here's something for you. So we both have different religious beliefs. One of us is a believer. One of us isn't. And um, oh, we voted for two different people in the last election. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but there's more than there were more than just two candidates. Anyway. <laughs> Yeah, we, we, we had them worried. But, um, but what I found is that we, we have some, uh, some different beliefs, but we have the same values. And the beliefs tend to be a path to get to what those, what those values are. And I think, I think with your work, it's really about exposing what the values are sort of regardless of the beliefs or even, maybe even help, help people, helping people question what their beliefs are, either in, 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 with the opportunity to change them or solidify them. And actually... One of the reasons why I think that you all connect in such a really visceral way is it doesn't surprise me that people email you and, and think that you're from all these different perspectives because certain things are true. I call them true, period. They've been true for thousands of years, like discipline, intentionality, clarity, simplicity, elegance. The, the, these values and these drives have been true, so it should not surprise us that people from different cultures, religions, nations, perspectives would witness to certain things being true. And I would argue that at some level what's happening with our culture is it's getting, it's getting more and more all treble, no bass, more shrill. Um, how many YouTube videos did you, how many YouTube views did you get? How many Instagram followers? How, um, how many of you have had somebody mention something to you and all of a sudden you feel like, I guess I'm really out of it. And then you find out that whatever it is hit the internet an hour ago. And you're like, how? Because the news cycle used to be two weeks. 
Then it was like 24 hours. Now it's like, have you seen LeBron's new haircut? I mean, he posted 17 minutes ago. Three sports fans got that, but you know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> Let me try again. Did you see what Kim wore? <laughs> there. Um, so it's almost like more and more it's moving faster, 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 faster. And when you can articulate wisdom that is literally thousands of years old, it's like it hits a bass note. Something within us goes, ah, oh, thank you. That like grounds me, it centers it. You know what I'm talking about, correct? Like it, something goes, yes. Because otherwise, all it does is just blow you back and forth all over the place. And uh, that's, I, that doesn't surprise me that you get the, all of those. Plus the way he looks, you're going to get Jesus emails. <laughs> like that's, you, you should see that's, him in the summer with the sandals. Oh, right. Oh, keep going. Right. Keep going. If, you should at some city have him come out carrying a live lamb. <laughs> Would that be awesome? That's genius. And then just stand here and then just walk off. Yes. Don't, don't do anything else. <laughs> just leave it on the stage. <laughs> you know, I, I'm... I'm sure the, so I, I was, I was afraid that like, you know, the, the idea of like, what is the Bible will freak out half the crowd for sure. Um, and this is, as Rob said, this isn't about like religion or, or, or getting into any of that. Um, but I think sometimes our, our interests get piqued about something or when I, when I cringe at something, I, I know that maybe that I should lean into it a little bit more. Right. And, um, and so I think your work does that in, in an approachable way. And whether it's, it's the books you write or uh, Rob has a great podcast, which is called The Robcast, for those of you who, who haven't heard it. And uh, yeah, I'm sure a bunch of you listened to it already. It's you got five on that one. No, it's, <laughs> but they really I love it. it. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the few podcasts I listen to regularly. And yeah. so thank you for that. But um, yeah, what... After, after all of these years, because for those of you who don't know Rob, Rob used to be a, a pastor back in the days, back in, back in Michigan, Grand Rapids. <laughs> and, um, and you decided to, you, you wrote a, a groundbreaking book called Love Wins and decided to, uh, to sort of, well, as you put it, graduate from, from that life and, and before you had to divorce it in a way. And so, so... You came out to Los Angeles. What brought you out here? Because I realized in my work, when I was talking about what it means to be human, what it means to be alive, what it means to live with passion and clarity, that at some level I was telling a story, and well, where do, where do people tell stories? Um, and uh, Kristen and I, when we were first married, lived out here. This has always felt like home. So in some ways it was like coming home. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I love Los Angeles. Not like, I mean like love it. It's a pretty awesome city. Like really love it. Like I'll be it. stuck on the 405 in traffic. I'm that guy with the windows down, smiling. <laughs> like, you know, because I'm stuck in traffic in Los Angeles. Yeah, I love it here. What made you at this point want to, to write a book called What is the Bible? <laughs> because I noticed especially in the past year and especially politically, how many of the things people were talking about were like, oh wait, human beings have been talking about these things for thousands of years and sometimes what you're not actually looking for is a solution, you're looking for solidarity. It's like you go through something difficult and you're like calling your different friends and the one friend is like, well here's what you need to do and you're like, mm, 
because you don't, you don't need a lecture at that point. And finally, you call a certain friend who says, ah, oh, yeah, I know how that feels. And you realize, oh, that's, that's why I've been calling around to different friends. I just needed somebody to stand with me in it. I'll fix it later. That solidarity is actually what often drives what we're doing, is we just want to know we're not alone. Um, and I noticed how many issues that people were talking about. For example, from the opening pages of the Bible, it's assumed that human beings have a proper relationship with the soil. That's just an assumption. And it's assumed that if you don't treat the earth well, that your culture, your politics, your governance, your finances, your economics would all crumble. Imagine that. <laughs> and so a lot of, that, that is like a central thread of the Bible. So when people talk about our need to care for the earth and the extraordinary exploitation and abuse that have gone on with the soil, and that's seen as sometimes like a progressive or a new idea, it's, it's new if you think of like about like 11,000 years old <laughs> is a new idea. And I think it's really important for people to know this, that when you stand up for injustice, when you stand up for caring for the earth, when you stand up for somebody whose rights are being violated, you are in that moment joining a really, really long human tradition. And that can invigorate you with a certain like spinal fortitude and strength. Like I'm not alone here. People have been standing up for these sorts of things for a really long time. That's one of the many reasons. Yeah. What, one last thing, maybe two, before we dive into some questions. But it, you're brushing up against politics, and it's always interesting when, when you hear someone say, but I'm not a political person. What do you say to oh, that? Dear. Okay. <laughs> How many of you have running water in your house? Yeah, six of you. More people than have uh, read my books. Excellent. <laughs> now, uh, what's interesting is... Where was that water sourced? Who regulated it? Was there a water board, a water commission, a county clerk? Who decided how much water? If there's a drought, who decides how it gets rationed? How many households get how many portions? Who appointed that person? Who elected that person? Who brought that person in? Who hired that person? Was that person serving a five-year term or a ten-year term? Who decided? Somebody made decisions. And there is a long process that has been in play so that when you turn your tap, water comes out. The ancient word politics comes from the Greek word politikos, and it means citizens. So the politikos, or politics, is how the citizens arrange our common life together. So when we all got together and decided who's going to make sure that we have water when we turn the tap, that is political. So when someone says they're not political, I would just say, do you shower? <laughs> now, what happened is this idea, and so, so our shared common life together as a member, as a citizen of a county, a state, a nation, the world, is a sacred, holy thing. How many of you, when you were voting in November, because obviously you voted, how many of you, when you're standing in line, had like, were moved emotionally by the experience? Like, how many of you the next day were moved emotionally in other ways? Um, <laughs> But how many of you, when you do participate in things like voting, you, oh, this, is, this matters. Our shared life together matters. Now, what happens to this idea of politics is it got hijacked by something called partisanship, 
which means for many people, they have never been in a setting where we were overtly talking about how we organize our common life together, where it wasn't instantly run into two political parties and became divisive. So I would argue that the great next leap for all of us is to returning to talk about politics without this electric, divisive partisanship, but just talk about what is, by the way, if you wanna kill the tension at Thanksgiving when your Uncle Phil wants to go all Fox News on you? How many know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Anytime you feel like things are getting dodgy and getting political, just ask yourself, what is the policy that is in play here? Because first off, as soon as you start talking about policy, it's the least sexy word in the world. It also will demonstrate quite quickly who knows anything about what we're talking about. Um, and that actually, I think what you're gonna see is a whole new, because of what's been going on the past year, so I think you're gonna see a whole new generation of people go, oh wait, our water, our military, our schools, this matters and I ought to probably know more about this than I do. Because right now I'm stuck on season five of Game of Thrones. So I clearly have the RAM space. Are you with me on this? I have the storage space. I'm just so excited about episode seven of House of Cards that dropped two Fridays ago. But if I knew like 2% more about my, how my actual town works, I would probably, if we all did, things would be way better. So that's what I would say about politics. I, I think it's perfect time to answer some questions. You answer some questions with us, Rob? Absolutely. Let's do it. We'll start with a couple long-winded answers, and then we'll, we'll, we'll narrow it down <laughs> to something pithier. Man, look at that line, Josh. Minimalism. It looks like we answered every single question. <laughs> Here's so, what happens. You have to break the seal. Someone has to break the ice. And then what will happen Thank is you. too many people line up. Because here's the thing. We hang out afterward. We dish out hugs, sign books, and take photos and all that fun stuff. And sadly, we don't have a chance to answer 600 questions when, when we're in line. And so now is the time to ask the questions. Howdy, what's your name? Hi, I'm Claire. Claire, where Hi, are you Claire. from? Here. Awesome. Here, from at the Belasco. At the Belasco, yes. Born and bred Los Angeles. Would you believe I was the shyest kid in my class? Oh. And I'm the first You're up here. here first. I'm up here first. Why not? So my question, I've been thinking about this for a while as I've listened to your podcast from other areas, is when I was a kid, growing up in the 80s, it was easy to say, oh, I can't eat that. This was before hydrogenated fats were introduced. You'd say, no, I can't eat that. I'm, my family's Jewish. I keep kosher. And it was easy. You know, people are like, oh, oh, no problem. But now, as an adult, as a parent, as a wife, when people are in my presence or they're in my home, and I feel like I can't say minimalism without them feeling shamed. Mm. And so, I mean, I remember going to a friend's house recently for brunch and she said, don't, don't look at my closets, don't judge me. And I don't feel like I say anything, but I feel like people being in my presence sometimes you know, they're like, why don't you want a new car? Or why don't you want a bigger house? And I'm like, I'm good. And I feel like I'm good, or my daughter's good, isn't working. So I'm here asking, what, what's a good catchphrase? Like, I'm kosher, was, was good. <laughs> well, <laughs> but, oh. 
Go ahead, I'm Go, sorry. Yeah, so I, I don't usually say minimalism, um, but just saying I'm good doesn't seem to work for me. Yeah, I was going to say, well, stop shaming your family with the word minimalism. I don't. <laughs> I don't. They just see me yeah. being kind of contented with, like, everyone in my family leases cars. Everyone is looking for the bigger house. And they mm. look at me and they're like, so when are you going to move? And I say, I, I'm good. Yeah. And when are you going to get a new car? No, I'm good. Yeah, so I don't I, say minimalist. I think if I was in your shoes, well, first off, I just want to be very clear. Like, we are the minimalists because the domain was available for like eight bucks. <laughs> so, you know, minimalism, when I heard the term minimalism, right away I was like, what is minimal? Like, I, I pictured art, I pictured, you know, stark white walls, maybe like a monk. And then Josh sends me this video of Colin Wright. I know. Who owned like 52 things and carried everything he owned in this backpack being this like peripatetic writer. And I'm like, Josh has lost his mind. <laughs> and then he sent me the other, the, the other folks. Mm -hmm. And what I realized is that, yeah, minimalism can be subversive, absolutely. It, it was to me at first. And I think that minimalism is kind of like the the best word and probably like the most imperfect word, if that makes sense. Like it's, yeah. it's imperfect because you get all those uh, thoughts of stark white walls and monks and like, I didn't want to live like a monk. I didn't want to like give up my kitchen table. I like having a kitchen table. I didn't want to give up my couch. I have game <laughs> nights. If I didn't have a, a couch, like I, we'd all sit on the floor to be uncomfortable and I'd be, you know, kicking cranium pieces all over the, the living room floor. So, you know, I guess uh, it, is, it is also the best word, though, because it does make people, you know, kind of stop and think. Mm -hmm. But in your situation, you know, instead of maybe saying I'm good, I mean, look at it as you, you can call it whatever you want. You can call it simplicity. You can call it intentionalism. Uh, you can call it whatever you want. It doesn't have to be minimalism. I mean, when people, when people you know, uh, meet me for the first time, I don't say, hi, my name is Ryan Nicodemus. I'm a minimalist. You know, it, that would be a really weird introduction. And have you seen my documentary? Um, no, I, I, I usually just, you know, my name is Ryan Nicodemus. And then, of course, they ask that question, what do you do? <laughs> and I'll tell them I snowboard. And they're like, you make money off of snowboarding? I'm like, no, I live in Montana. I just love to snowboard. What do you love to do? And, you know, I'll kind of create the, uh, or, you know, take the conversation a little bit in a different direction. Mm. But, you know, when someone asks you, like, why aren't you, why aren't you getting into more debt? What is wrong with you? You might just, you can just answer it with that. I'm trying to stay out of debt. I'm trying to live a more simple life. And people will feel judged. But I'll tell you the best way I feel is to help people not feel judged is to support them regardless of where you're at in your life. Like my, my mom who, uh, you know, she called me up like a month after Josh and I launched the website mm -hmm. and she's like, Hey son, how you doing? I'm like, I'm great. How are you? She's like, I'm great. What is this minimalist crap? <laughs> and I'm like, Oh, you found the website. Like she must've been Googling my name or something and had come across it. And, um, or a friend told her. Yeah. Or something. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe a friend told her. And actually, I think she was probably like, <laughs> we got those 52 visitors that first month. I think it was her just like going back to the website <laughs> 52 times. But I'm like, well, what do you think about it? She's like, I don't know what to think. Like, are you, are you depressed? Like, can I, am I not, am I not going to see you for holidays anymore? Can I still buy you gifts? And I'm like, 
yes, uh, mom, um, I, I am depressed actually. And I'm trying to change that. And I'm trying to just do something different with my life. And yeah, of course I'm going to be around for the holidays. Like, I don't want to not see you during the holidays. Mm -hmm. In fact, I hope to see you more. That was probably the only time I ever saw her, actually. She lived a half hour away from me. I saw her maybe six or seven times a year. And, you know, when it came to the gift thing, I was like, yeah, like, please don't buy me anything. I, I have a lot of stuff, in fact, too much stuff. And I would appreciate it if you would just hold back on any gifts. Please save your 15 bucks on the tie clip that I'll never wear and just, you know, uh, just don't get me anything. She's like, well, you know, I'm your mom and I'm still going to buy you stuff. And I suppose like she has that right as my mother to say that. And um, I was like, I was like, well, mom, um, if you get me something I can't use, I'm going to get rid of it. I'm going to have to donate it. Or I'm going to give it to someone, find it a good home. This is not the thing to say to your mother, by the way. Oh, I know. Yeah. yeah. So she, she got she got a little upset, and uh, we were kind of going back and forth a little bit, and and it just got to a point where I was like, "Mom, you know, I love you, and I know that you love me." She's like, "Yeah, of course, I love you." And I'm like, "I want you to be happy. I know you want me to be happy too, right?" She's like, "Yeah, of course." And I'm like, "Well, if that's the case, I don't need you to have a packing party. I don't come to your home and judge your stuff. I just need your support, and I want to support you." And that, that really is what kind of, of, is what got through to her. And, and that's what I've done, you know, from the very beginning. I don't ever go to my mom's house and ask her, like, you know, you know why do you have all this stuff? Or if she asks me, you know, um, why do you still have that 2004 Toyota Corolla? Like, <laughs> you're making some money now, right? Like, you can, get, you can afford a new car. And I'm like, ah, I still have to get, a, like, a payment. And I don't want to get that debt payment. I'm trying to stay debt-free. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm trying to maintain this, this simple life. And I'll tell you, it took about, God, it took about three years, two years. Um, she came to Montana to visit me and my partner, Mariah. And I picked her up at the airport brought her bags into the apartment. We had just moved into the place like a month prior to that. And as soon as she open, opens up her bags, like she pulls out this vase and like a couple candlestick holders. And right away I'm like, like shit, like, <laughs> like what am I gonna do with this stuff? And I'm just like smiling and I'm not gonna start, again, not gonna judge her. I'm not gonna look at her and say, I can't use this. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna get, you know, I'm gonna get rid of this. But before I could even like really react or say anything to it, she said, you know, son, like you have come so far and I am so proud of you. And I know that this is your new home and I just wanted to like give you a housewarming gift and show you how much I appreciate you. And then she said, if this doesn't fit with your life, feel free to find it a new home. I totally understand, but I just wanted to give this to you to let you know that I love you and that I'm proud of you took her two years to get to that point. And now, you know what her plan is? I love this. God love my mother, man. She is going to, her plan right now, she's saving up to buy an RV. Yeah. So she can drive around the country and do open mic nights. I swear to God. I swear to God, this is my mom's plan. And I support her 100%. Like, I want to be like, okay, mom, like, I will help you write your jokes. Like, all right, like, if you want to make fun of minimalism on your tour, great. Like I've got a lot of, you know, uh, uh, a, a lot of irony that, that we can, we can pick on. But, but, but the whole point is, is that when it comes to your friends, when it comes to your family, if they love you, 
If they want you to be happy, they're going to support you. You might have to ask for it, mm-hmm. but they will absolutely do that. And if you support them, they have no reason to not support you. If you've got friends in your life who are judging you for not getting into more debt, are they really your friends? No, it's usually more uh, with my daughter's peers. And they'll come to our house and they're like, this is so cute. Mm-hmm. And tidy. So your, fr- your daughter's friends. The classmates. Are there judging your daughter? Are they really her friends? No, they're four years old. Yeah. Of course not. Okay, well. <laughs> you know, they're, they're, you know, it's and what's com- nice is a parent- space. Yeah, you have what- to be cordial and polite, and, you know. And so it, it's just, it's funny because um, the place that it's most embraced for me is at work. Because um, it's, it's like a battle to always kind of pack less, bring less. But, um, yeah, it just, I, I find like, I just, I'm missing that phrase to say to people to just kind of give them the pass. Like, no, no, it's okay. It's okay. Because of saying, like, it's good or I'm okay, just, I don't know, I feel like people... So, so if you're looking for a phrase, here, here, here's the phrase for you. Wait, hold on, I would just say, long story short, I would not care what four-year-old, four-year-olds thought about me. That's just me personally. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. Oh, no, that's their parents. <laughs> if you're looking for something to say other than I'm good, you know, I, the, the thing that I, that I tend to say, and I say it to myself mm-hmm. quite a bit, is I have enough. Whenever I'm, I'm wanting to make a decision and thinking about acquiring mm-hmm. something new... Uh, feeling judged in any way, I have enough because I am enough, right? In an empty room, I'm enough. And everything else that I put in my life has to augment that experience of life, not get in the way of it. Can I say something? Yeah. Uh, I love hearing about the journey you're on. Your family may never understand. Oh, no, they won't. I've accepted that. (laughs) And, And I think sometimes... The danger is where I know, like with you, I'd be like, okay, what's the thing I can say? Mm-hmm. But it's almost like this culture is like swimming in water, and unless you drag a fish up on, be- on the beach and like point back to the water, this system of however many thousand of advertisements a day, bigger, faster, stronger, more, Amazon just bought Whole Foods yeah. for 13 billion. Um, this addiction to scale up and to the right, mm-hmm. more features, better. Look at it, it stores more things. Why is that good? Because it stores more things. Um, it helps me to think about it systemically that until, and consciousness is the great mystery, until you have seen, you don't know what somebody's talking about who has seen. And once you've seen, you can't unsee. And once you taste, you can't untaste. You, you have seen and tasted a better way of living. Mm-hmm. And I feel the, that. The great mystery is until a person has seen or tasted that, no matter, we can bend over backwards explaining, but sometimes people have no idea what we're talking about. And you're, I'm, I'm so glad to hear. Sometimes you have to make peace with that on the front end because otherwise we're like trying to convince people of things or even just come up with language that isn't ever going to work, which is the opposite of his answer. <laughs> no, it, it, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Howdy. Hey, hey, what's up, brother? What's up, man? Good How are you? you? Good. And you guys as well. Yeah, man, it's uh, been a while. Yeah. You know, I had this like really deep, serious question, and then 
Ryan said about you know his mom doing open mic night, and I first thing that comes to mind is how many minimalists does it take to screen a light bulb? As a oh. joke, real quick. Do you know? Do you know the answer to that? I'm guessing a lot. Well, you have to first find it. So how many no minimalists light. does it take to screw in a light bulb? Well, it's zero because minimalists don't have light bulbs. That's what I was thinking. Real, real question, though, is that I love how you guys use, instead of pitching people on minimalism, kind of you know, using the, the question, you know, how might your life be better with less? Instead of you know, the pitch of a you know, listicles of here's the 10 features and blah, 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 blah. And I think that's great also, too, for many things other than just minimalism. And I've used that in many times in my life. You know, how might life be better if, fill in the blank. And I love minimalism, as I'm sure most people here do. But like when you get into something, you know, you're searching for it, you're researching it, you get into this kind of echo chamber or bubble of just uh, of reaffirming. You know, there's algorithms now, social media that does that, where like you find all this information to reaffirm. And so I thought, have you ever asked yourself like the inverse of that question? Gone, how might my life be better with more? And I guess in parentheses, what would that more can, you know, be made up out of? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so, so, I mean, I live my life now um, this, in a way that I, I have fewer things but better things, right? And so more can be more quality. More, more really has to do, I mean, when Ryan was talking earlier, more has to do with the other areas of life. I was so bogged down with stuff, whether it was, you know, the 300,000 items I had, that it was in the way, and I forsook the people closest to me. Uh, my health was out of control, you know, I weighed 80 pounds more than I weigh now, and uh, my relationships were in shambles, that's the reason my marriage ended. And uh, I felt like I didn't have control of my creativity or my time. And I was constantly pursuing something I didn't want to pursue. I was working really hard to spend money I didn't have on things I didn't want to impress people I didn't know. And, and once I figured out that like, I didn't have to go do that, then what is the more? And I made room for that more. And some of it is stuff. I mean, I, I'm not against, I'm not an ascetic, right? I don't want to uh, steep myself in perpetual suffering so that I can you know, learn to deal with pain. That seems... you, have, you have light bulbs in your house. So... Yes, 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 I do. They're smart light bulbs, too. <laughs> Those are the best. Um, but uh, the, the truth is that the things that I bring into my life now, I am questioning that. Does this add value to my life? But also, the things that add value today at age 35 may not add value at age 45 or 55 or whatever. And so I have to keep asking that question. It's not a, a static sort of thing. I wish there was a list I could hand to you and say, here are the hundred items you should own and now you'll be happy. Because then it would be so much easier. It'd be a one-page book and all of you'd go home happy. But the truth is we, ha we have to keep asking, what is that more? What, what, am, I, what am I going to bring into my life and, and why? And more important, why is it important? Yeah, I totally agree with him. Um, I mean, even in the beginning of the talk, I'm like, imagine your life with more time. That was the first reason why I even got into this whole thing. I was, when Josh is telling me about minimalism, and then I started to see like, oh, this is some very, very common sense stuff. In fact, like people, they will, uh, will be on the radio and like they'll call in and they'll say, this is a really, really old idea. This is just really common sense. And I'm like, yeah. Common sense ain't too common these days, unfortunately. And it, and it took someone like, you know, seeing how Josh was living his life and for him to kind of share those grounded principles that I automatically felt connected to. And I was like, oh, yeah, if I don't have 
this huge mortgage hanging over my head, if I'm not going out and buying a brand new car every couple years, maybe I won't have to work this 60, 70, sometimes 80 hours a week job. I mean, the, the whole thing for me, man, I just, I wanted to pay off my debt. I wanted to save up enough money to where I felt like it was about six months worth of bills and I felt like I could finally transition away from my job and become a barista. Like that was my dream. And then, you know, this, this beautiful accident happened with the website and, uh, you know, maybe one day I'll be able to like go and be a barista because, you know, I'm debt free. And right now, let's say uh, the internet blew up and all of our books spontaneously combusted and, uh, you know, all of a sudden, like no one, no one shows up. You know, the rug is sweep, swept out from underneath of us. Dude, I'll go be a barista. Like, I have no problem doing that. I might have to move apartments because I don't think I could, you know, live in my Missoula apartment living off of 23000 bucks a year. But I have no lease. I have no debt. Like, I could very easily just, just walk away and go and, and, and be a barista. And for me, like, that, that was the more. It was more time to actually focus on what my priorities were. So going from that 80 hours a week to, you know, 30, 40 hours a week would have been great if I could have just got back down to that, honestly. Thanks, Justin. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Howdy. Hello. What's your name? Ryan. Ryan, actually. Hey, Ryan, actually. Cool name, man. (laughs) What's going on? Uh, So I have a statement followed by a question. Uh, I I didn't actually read you guys' books, but I... Get out of here, man. Still still I'm a huge fan. (laughs) I'm kidding. Uh, Security? I still am a huge fan. I'm totally kidding, man. And I maybe watched part of the TED Talk. One of them. Uh, but, but point being is that I do love you guys But you're here. Thank you so I'm much here. for showing up, man. Yeah, my, yeah, mom really actually, it, man. my mom actually bought me a ticket. She's in the front row, and I was like, yeah, why not? It's Friday. Oh, nice. uh, Thanks, but, So uh, point being in this, um, Rob, I didn't know you were going to be here, and I'm, I'm so grateful, man. I mean, you said just probably less than like 2,000 words, and... I'm already in love with you. <laughs> yeah. uh, not, not maybe that much, but... Uh, you, you and me both, Ryan. You and me both. Uh, so, uh, point being is that I actually, when I was younger growing up, my mom had a lot of problems with the way that I would uh, structure my life just because, you know, clean your room, all this kind of stuff. Uh, but at about 16, 17 years old, right around then, I actually found minimalism on my own. I wasn't religious. I was sort of a reader, but I, I didn't find it in books so much. I just kind of cleaned my room one day, and I was like, damn oh my God, this feels amazing. And uh, I just, it never stopped being that way. And I'm, I moved out of the house now. Um, and as you guys can tell, I can't really be much older than 17 at this point. Uh, and I, I already have my own place and I'm still kind of, you know, steeped in minimalism. I don't have many things. Um, it's always been that way. But when finally after, you know, sneakily removing things from my mom's apartment and trying to get her onto this boat and her fighting every step of the way, finally I'm, I'm, you know, sitting on that beach enjoying, you know, the palm trees around me and I finally hear her slopping out of the water and now I can point back and we're like, oh, she understands it now. She kind of gets it. And now she's inviting me to these minimalist things. But my question being, I've kind of found a deeper rooted sense of happiness in this, but how do I, how do I bring her further? How do people bring themselves further afterwards? This is kind of building off of what the two people before me asked, but where do you find that? really rooted sense of happiness. I mean, you go snowboarding. 
I do. I, got, I love skiing and all these other small little knickknack uh, sports and things like that. But where is that rooted sense of happiness? How can you find happiness at like a 10-day meditation retreat? So, so <laughs> I would start with buying our three books, Ryan. <laughs> I'm totally kidding, hey, man. Where, totally where is, Jessica, you around here? Can I, can, I, can I give Ryan all three of our books so I don't feel like I'm selling him something? Yeah, I'm oh totally joking. Which, by the way, they're available in the lobby afterward. <laughs> But 100% of the profits go to our favorite charity. It's the Josh and Ryan Gas Fund to get to San Francisco. Um, no, uh, Ryan, I, I think that... Um, I think chasing happiness is actually the problem. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Oh, Thank you guys welcome. a lot. Thank you, man. I, I think that, that chasing happiness is, is really the problem. And that's what I did for a really long time. And I think you have to be really careful with that because it's sort of like uh, if you blow up a balloon and just let it go, that's sort of what I was doing, just going every direction looking for happiness, right? And, and so I, I started searching for what a more meaningful life looked like for me. And really, for me, that meant aligning my short-term actions with my long-term values. In order to do that, you have to figure out what are your values. Who's the person that you aspire to be like? You know, what's your 28-year-old self? Now, now, here's the thing. I'm not saying, you know, write down your 10 goals and that's what you want. What kind of person do you want to be? What are your values? And, and, and once you identify what your values are, you can start to align your daily actions with that. For the longest time, I said my priorities were one thing. I said my health or my relationships or whatever. But our real priorities are how we spend our day. And so I was incessantly checking email or Facebook and going from meeting to meeting to meeting. If you show me your calendar, I'll show you your, your priorities. And, and what I realized is that if I want to be the person that I actually want, wanted to be, that I'd, because I identified that as a meaningful life, I'd have to change what I do every day. And here's, here's the good news. Happiness is a really beautiful byproduct of that. that Oh, that was good. The Japanese, there's a Japanese word, akigai, and it means, akigai means that which gets you up in the morning. By the way, I was doing this one time with a group, and a guy came up afterwards, and he's like, uh, I speak Japanese, it's ikigai. And I was like, and I don't, and it's akigai, because I'm not going to say ikigai. Uh, but, uh, a key guy is that which gets you up in the morning. And there's this very well-developed philosophy of what is it that gets you up? And when you no longer have an Akigai, guy, then you're, you're dead even if you aren't dead. And it's understood that your Akigai guy is something you're endlessly working out over the course of your life. And it may be different things at different times. Um, and the reason why I tell you that is because right before this event started, Ryan was, said to me, I can't believe I get to do this. What gets you up in the morning is that which fills you with a sense of wonder and awe that you even get to do this. Some days, the, the wonder and awe meter might be a little low, uh, but your key guy is this sense of, uh, your, a sense of wonder and awe about your own existence, that you actually get to do this. The great Abraham Joshua Heschel said, I didn't ask for success, I asked for wonder. And so what happens is you live in a culture that bows down at the altar of success, but you can be very successful and have no wonder and awe. No, look at this, look what we're doing, look what we get to do. And if you can, can keep trying things and keep giving yourself to things until you find something where you think, 
I could do this. This would get me out of bed in the morning. Now you're onto something. And it will always involve two things. It will always involve a deep sense of significance and meaning on your own, on your interiors. And I would argue that it will always involve blessing, serving, and giving to someone else. This will be good not just for you. This will be good for the world. And those two things... And if you don't have those two polarities, they're not opposites, they're polarities. If you only have the one, this is good for me, I love this, I love this, but it does no good to the greater world. That's an inward focused life, it'll never work. If it's just serving them, because I'm supposed to, you end up with this weird martyr complex and it sucks all the joy out of life and you end up bitter, resenting the very people you're trying to help. But if these two are dancing together, your own sense of joy and your sense that you might even be contributing to the greater good, and those two are moving together, now you have something. Yeah, I have a personal question for you. How do, yeah. you. how do you personally find that sense of flow where you're really not trying to do, you're really not trying, you know? Because I, 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 see, I can see that coming off of you. You really just don't try. <laughs> because everything <laughs> that could go wrong did. That's beautiful. <laughs> I've been booed and had hecklers and had protesters. Everything that could go wrong did. And at some point, life beats you down and you either become bitter and cynical and jaded and one more person staying at a distance going, that only got 27 on Rotten Tomatoes. Ooh. Or like one more person who's just throwing stones. Cynicism is easy. So for some people, the, the, the bruises and the beatdowns of life, you just end up one more person who's just withdrawn from the game. And now you're just pointing out why all this stuff sucks. Or it beats you down and you realize, but we're here. And it may completely fail, but, but we might as well give it a shot. And we do have today. And no one may like this. And I may have people throw rotten vegetables at me, but man, that would get me out of bed in the morning. That's how it works. That's good, man. In a nutshell. Thanks for the motivation. That's awesome, man. Hey, Ryan. I just want to say, dude, um, when you're done reading those, minimize them afterwards. Like donate them to a library or you know, give them to a friend. I shall re-gift. Uh, what's that? I shall re-gift them. Yeah, or re-gift them. Um, if they're sitting on your bookshelf in a year and you, haven't, and you hadn't read them yet, six months even, just get rid of them, man. <laughs> That's probably the best advice I got. Today. All right, man. Take care. That's right. Hey, Ryan. You know what Wait, time it one? is? No, you. You, oh. Ryan. Do you know what time it is? Oh, yeah, you know what time it is. It is time for our hashtag Ask the Minimalists lightning round, live from L.A. So this is where we usually answer questions with a 140-character tweetable response that you can share on, on social media. By the way, if you take any photos or whatever tonight, you can share that. There's a hashtag, less is now, which is the name of the tour as well. But uh, you can ask a normal question, we will try to give you a short answer. It doesn't always work out that way. I wanted to give you something with a nice little bow on it to take home, and all of you can take it home as well, and it's uh, hopefully a, a maxim that's worth sharing. What's your name? Hi, I'm Anna. Um, and actually, this is more of a statement than a question, so I'm going to be really, really quick. I'm actually the uh, community leader for the LA area. And yeah. so... Nice to meet you. Thank you. First of all, thank you. Thank you for validating um, how I have felt all of my life, and I thought I was a little odd. 
when I didn't want things and I was happy with really simple things. So um, this journey has been really, really great for me. Just so that everyone knows, we do have monthly meetings here in LA. They, um, they do move around a little bit. It is a Facebook-based um, group. So if you follow The Minimalist, look for The Minimalist, the LA um, group, and the events will show up there. For sure. You, and you, you can just go to minimalist.org. A few years ago, Ryan and I went on a 100-city tour, and each city people would come up to us and say, hey, how do I connect with open-minded people locally? And I would just sort of give them the, the blank stare and blink a few times and then say, I don't know, okay, Cupid. <laughs> But uh, no, we, we decided to leave behind these, these free local meetup groups in, in 100 different cities. And uh, some of them are really thriving and meet at least once a month. So thank you for running that. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. It's, it's, it's great. It's been great for me. A real, real, real pleasure. So my simple question is, and this has come up almost in every meeting, 90% of the people who show are women. Aha. Uh -huh. Is that common? Because it comes up almost every, like, we have, like, the token man. One, 15, you know, 14 women, one guy. I mean, you look at the room here, there's plenty of men here, but come into the meetups. Speaking of OK Cupid, <laughs> right. Any single men out See, there want to go to the uh, meetup? <laughs> I'm kidding. Don't use it as a dating group. That's no, crazy. No, no. Um, yeah, you know, I, I don't know why in terms, so our message, what I've found is, our message is broadly appealing, especially since the documentary came out. Um, you, you'll see people at our events tonight. I'm, I'm willing to bet you there's a factory worker and an executive in the crowd. There is a, um, a college or a high school dropout and a college professor in the crowd. Um, th there's going to be young, old, rich, poor, young. Wait, I already said that. <laughs> young again. Maybe we have more young people showing up because of the documentary now. Um, but people from everywhere on the, the socioeconomic spectrum. And I, I think we're all asking the same questions. How do I get back a little bit of control? I feel like I've lost control at some point, whether I'm a CEO or I'm struggling to pay the bills. How do I get back control of, of the life I'm leaving cause I, leading because I want to live a more meaningful life? And so I can't answer you why specifically, uh, why that, that, this particular group? Because in other cities, it, it is either the opposite or it's 50-50. It kind of depends on, on, on the individual group. And so what I'll say to you is, you all here, Los Angeles, is you have an opportunity here to, to meet with, uh, with a group of open-minded people. I say open-minded, I don't say like-minded. And I think it's important to realize. Like I said, even Ryan and I aren't like-minded, but uh, people are willing to listen, willing to be supportive. And you can talk, we're not, it's not a decluttering group. You can talk about whatever you want, careers, health. You can talk about your stuff too. Um, but really wanted to leave that behind for you so you could connect with people locally. Great. And it's a great group. I have to tell you, it's really, it's been a positive experience. Every weekend we get together and we don't want to leave. Like people That's need awesome. to go and we're like, okay, yeah, you go. We're just going to stand here and, you know, keep talking. So it's, it's awesome. Thank you. Very cool. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. All right, so now we're starting the lightning round. Yeah. Okay. How's Howdy. How's it going, Josh? Ryan. Uh, hey. Awesome, man. Thanks for coming out. What's your What's name? What's your name, brother? My name's James. I uh, had the opportunity to watch you guys' documentary recently. And uh, pivotal point when Josh, you were in the salt beds and you were talking about even when Rome is burning, there's still time to shop at Ikea. And that you had the chance, like, your mom passed away, your marriage is ending, but yet, like, you still had this desire to shop. Like, it really struck a chord with me because seeing like this culture where everyone's just consuming it's like no like why do we have to do this we should just let it go and 
coming across your guys' blog, listening to uh, Justin Bollock, the guy who I think narrated your audiobook, uh, came across Optimal Finance Daily and then Optimal Living Daily, and then kind of marries the two between um, financial independence, being like early retirement, and then minimalism, because it kind of goes hand in hand. The less amount of stuff you buy, the more money you can take home, the more money you can take home, the earlier you can retire and the happier you can be. Have you seen that kind of as a whole with people that come to see you? Like they kind of want that? Yeah, so, so the question has a lot to do with the, the, the do finances tie into the minimalism thing? And, and for me, they, they did. So it's, your question spawned with seeing in the documentary when I was talking about, um, I was reading out in the salt flats in Utah. Um, there was no one, it was the first, the first reading I've ever done that no one attended. Uh, just out there in the middle of nowhere, I'm reading from everything that remains. And um, the line is, but even while Rome is burning, there's somehow time for shopping at Ikea. And it's because my, my mom died, my marriage ended, and I'm like moving into a new apartment and I'm out shopping. Uh, side note, I was in Ikea a few months ago and someone recognized me. <laughs> it was awkward. The, that wasn't a commentary on Ikea. It was a comment, commentary on my own priorities. But speaking of priorities, my finances, I made really good money in the corporate world, but I spent even better money. And that equation never works. Well, that's my pithy answer. Nice. That's a good one. Do you have anything pithy, Ryan? Uh, I'm going to ramble a little bit until maybe I get to something pithy. Uh, the short answer is yes. Like I had, I was walking in uh, earlier uh, to do the sound check and uh, there's a gentleman out there. I think his name was Nick. If it's not Nick, if, I know you're out there. I'm so sorry if I remember your name wrong. But he came up to me and he was like, man, you know, you guys always talk about finances. You always talk about, you know, living a debt-free life and uh, not accumulating more debt. And he was like, you know, I just took on a job that I am going to make more money. I am going to have to work a little bit more. He's like, but I really want to get to that point. And I really respected that because in the beginning of, of, of the talk, when I'm like, you know, talking about imagining your life with less and all that, I say, you know, I'm not talking about a perfect life or even an easy life, but a simple one. Because we often confuse simple with easy. And simple is actually very, very difficult in a lot of cases. And in this gentleman's case, like, it is difficult. I mean, to live the simple life he wants to live, he is going to have to. He got himself into a hole, and he's going to have to get himself out of it. And it is going to take a lot of work. Maybe that's my tweetable answer. What? To dig yourself out of a hole? You no, have if to you've stop got digging? yourself in a if you Okay, all right, let me rephrase it. Thank you. Josh is my wordsmith. Um, so I guess that would be my answer is uh, if you've digging yourself into a hole, there isn't an easy way to get out of it. It's going to take a lot of work. Thank you for your time. Appreciate wait, wait. it. Well, hold we on. Rob is going to have to have something <laughs> to do with finances. Everything is spiritual. <laughs> Most specifically, your finances. And your savings and your soul are deeply interconnected. And the more debt you have, the less oxygen your soul has. So every move you make towards financial freedom is like taking another 
layer off of your heart and your spirit so you can actually soar? 140. Yes. No, man. Yes. You win that one. Thank you, gentlemen. I, I, so, told, I told you we'd tie it up with a pretty little bow. Right. No, the, 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 the tweetable quote, man, was the more debt you have, the less oxygen your soul has. Like, that is, that's beautiful, man. Yeah. Yeah. What's up, brother? What's your name? Uh, Michael. Hello, hey, gentlemen. Michael. Howdy. Howdy. You guys ever secretly buy shit and hide it from each other? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That's... We, Be honest. I'm going to give my... I, I, have, I have so much material for my mother to go on the road with. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, honestly, Ryan is, is the most honest person that I've ever met. And so, I mean, I don't think he would ever hide anything from me. But, um, yeah, I, I doubt there's some, like, jet ski in, in, his, <laughs> in his garage or something. I have a secret mat- mansion in Malibu you don't even know about. <laughs> <laughs> no, man, I, w- I wish I had a sexy answer for you. Like, yeah, man, I really love Beanie Babies. Check out my check out my Fabergé egg collection. Beanie babies? Like 1995 called, man. They want their collection back. <laughs> no, man. I'm sorry. I wish I had a better answer for you. It's a you real know, real pleasure to see you guys tonight. Uh, you too, man. You too, brother. All right, oh, we got man. We got time for one more question before we move on to uh, to our added value segment. So I apologize to other people online. I promise you'll get a hug afterward if you, if you stick around. Howdy, what's your name? Hi, um, my name is Sam. And hey, Sam. I'm from Ventura, California. Welcome. I'm super nervous, so um, thank you. But um, I just wanted to start off by you guys have helped shape my life in like the past year dramatically. And the biggest thing that I've taken away is um, letting go of toxic people. And I think I've done an incredible job. I'm down to like three friends and I'm so happy about it. <laughs> and I've, I've never been happier with genuine people in my life. So my question is, um, I have a very toxic person in my life and they have an addiction. And my question is, is how do you divorce somebody when they're your parent? And they're bringing a toxic environment, not only to your life, but to, um, it's causing me to have a toxic relationship slightly with my husband, or, you know, it brings up some commotion, or it's holding me back from being a better sister, or even being the best daughter that I can be to them. And I'm having a really, really hard time with pulling myself away from somebody who's so toxic. So how do you walk away from somebody you will always love, but you don't want to be a part of that kind of environment. I'll start with a pithy answer, then I'll try to unpack it a little bit. Um, the thing that I've learned over the years is that victims become victimizers. And, and so I had people in, in my life, for sure, that played the victim role repeatedly and, and um, dragged me down with them. And so we all hear the sort of platitudes of, you are the, the five people you surround yourself with, your five closest friends. And, and that ends up being true. And so I think one way for you to, to remove yourself from that is to not run away from that, but to run towards something else and, and fi- find relationships 
uh, and people who are going to be supportive, people with similar values. And, and, and I think that ultimately when you're, when you're dealing with someone who you've been so close to for a really long time, you, you can't help someone that doesn't want help. I guess my biggest fear is walking away and then losing them and not having that. I guess it's like how much do I give of myself to try and help them when, in the back of my mind, I also know, too, that they can only help themselves. Yeah, so, so are you, uh, do, do you think this person will change on their own? I want to believe that they will. Sure. But I can't answer that, only they can. Yeah. Well, well then, then I'll give you my, my short answer. It's one that you've heard before, probably. You can't change the people around you, you can but you can change the people around you. And, and I think you have to surround yourself with some supportive relationships and model. You have to model the behavior that you want to see from, from that parent. And, and in doing so, your great hope is that they will follow. I mean, the nice thing is a lot of people in my life from, from my 20s, they thought I was crazy and I had to walk away from that. But eventually, when I modeled the behaviors that I wanted to see in myself, they ended up following. Man, um, I'm so sorry to hear about your situation. I, Nobody's fault. No, it, it's really not. Um, I just, I've been there. And, um, it sucks. Yeah, it does. Uh, man, I hate, I hate to like air out all my dirty laundry. Um, but like I have, I have a relative, um, I'll just say that, I have a relative in prison right now who is because of drugs. And they were in prison. They got out. I was helping them as much as I could, brought them out to my home, gave them some money to you know, start a new life with, and they ended up back in prison again. And when they did, they called me up and they're like, hey man, can you give me money for a lawyer? And I'm like, no, like I'm sorry, but I can't. I'm not willing to do that. Like I'm willing to write you, I'm willing to talk to you, I'm willing to support you whenever you want, but supporting you with, in a monetary fashion, like that's just, in my opinion, enabling you. And I've already done that and it hasn't done anything for you. And that's not any knock against you. I just know that until you really, really want to change, no matter how much money I give you or, or stuff, whatever it is, until you really want to change, like nothing is actually going to change in your life. So I guess what I'm saying is, is um, even other family members, like they still, uh, they still don't get what I'm doing. They, st you know, if I see them, they always got to make some kind of smart, nice orange shoelaces, minimalist. Like, I can't believe you have a colored shoelaces and um, you know, is, is that shirt adding value to your life? I mean, just constantly <laughs> take a drink. <laughs> and, you know, <clears throat> at the end of the day, like those family members, I do love them so much, but I will distance myself. And some of them have completely come around. And uh, my relative who's in prison right now, like I, we, we still have a good relationship there is nothing I can do to change, the, to change them. They're going to have to change themselves, but um, I will still be there for them. 
I would say don't, I don't think you have to walk. I mean, maybe you do. I don't know. This is just my two cents. I would say you don't, you, maybe you don't have to walk completely away from, from this relationship as much as distance yourself as much as possible. Still show them that you care and love them and support them in every way that you can. But don't ever support someone for the sake or don't, <clears throat> this is my pithy answer. I got it. Don't go out of your way to support someone and forsake your own meaningful life. Thank you. Thank you. Rob? Uh, Some people you have to love from a distance. And that means you're going to have to have a funeral for the parents and the relationship you wish you had. And that will involve grieving because they haven't been able to come with you. So the real question to ask is how much can you engage with somebody without losing yourself? And if you find that two hours of engagement takes you two weeks to flush the toxins out, or you and your husband have to do like a week of, am I crazy? Because they lobbed all that stuff. Like a Katy Perry melody, it got stuck in the front of your head. How many of you have somebody in your life who they know how to say something that gets looped in your frontal cortex and then it just plays on repeat? So here's the thing. You don't have to be around that. And, and the great heartache that's literally thousands of years old is what happens when you find yourself at odds with your own tribe. Maybe even the people who brought you into the world because your path has not continued on alongside their path. That's okay. And so the second you asked your question, I was like, oh, grieving. It's grieving. Think about it like I am grieving what I wish I had. And then you have to continue on your path. And maybe it means loving people from a distance. Thank you. Man. That's what I meant. So um, this is where we, let's move on to what we call the added value segment of the show. This is where Ryan and I usually talk about something that's added value to our lives recently. While we're out on tour, we love to do a little bit of a local flair. So Ryan, what, what has added value to your life in Los Angeles? And maybe we can get Rob involved as well since he lives here. I'm sure there's something in Los Angeles that adds value to your life. A couple, couple things maybe. Oh, absolutely. Um, all right, so the last time Josh and I were in LA, um, he's like, hey man, uh, well, f- let me just backtrack a little bit more. So in, in Missoula, Montana, He's like, hey, man, do you want to come and hang out in the sauna with me? And then uh, I take these really cold showers, and then we get back in the sauna, then we take cold showers, and I get up at like 6 a.m. and I do this, and I'm like, okay, like I'll try it. And I got up at 6 a.m. and I did this with him. And um, God, it was miserable, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> and I, I never did it again, uh, mainly because it was you know, me having to be somewhere at 6 a.m., but, uh, but the last time we were in LA, he's like, hey man, I know like the whole sauna and shower like wasn't your thing. He's like, but you've got to check out this, this bathhouse that I go to. 
And he was like, it's kind of what we did. He's like, but it's a little bit more, a little bit more tolerable. And you know, it's uh, like, no offense to Missoula, Montana or the Wyther, but it's kind of janky there. He's like, this is a really nice place. Like you're going to love it. And, uh, he, he, uh, took me to Voda spa and it's a Russian bathhouse. And yeah, like they have like a dry, like a dry Russian, um, sauna. They have a wet Russian sauna, a Turkish sauna, and they have this cold plunge, which I don't know why that's easier for me than like letting the cold water like run on me. Cause this is six o'clock in the morning, by the way, in like December in Montana and the heating element that they had that keeps the water at a certain temperature was broken that morning. So it was just like super cold water, like showering on me. Um, but anyway, long story short, um, we've been here for, I guess like a week now and I've been there twice, me and, uh, Mariah both. And it is, it is so invigorating. It is like, I don't, I can't even explain it. When Josh, uh, the first time he took me to this, to this spot, like we were, we did like these, this cycle of hanging out in the sauna for 10 or 15 minutes. And then you go into the cold plunge. Like, I think I could stand it for maybe a minute and we get out there and like, everything is just kind of spinning. And Josh is like, is this what it feels like to do shrooms? (laughs) And I'm like, nah, this is more like if you drank like a half a pint of whiskey or something, this is like what drunk feels. I've known Josh, like, like he said, since we were fat little fifth graders and, uh, he has never touched a sip of alcohol. I've never seen him. Yeah, I know. I've never seen him take a puff of a cigarette. Well, just, my mom drank enough for the whole family. (laughs) So, uh, uh, you know, Josh goes to the spot to get his buzz on, I guess. But, uh, but no, like if you haven't, if you haven't, um, been to Voda Spa, like I would totally recommend it. Me and Mariah went, like I said, twice and we absolutely love it. And actually speaking of Mariah, are you, are you up there? I just want to say thank you to my partner. I have such an awesome partner. I mean, to be able to go onto the road, she's, she's doing like a coding school right now where she has to spend six to eight hours a day reading. Sometimes I look at her computer screen and it looks like she's hacked into the matrix or something. Like I have no idea what's going on. And so I, I was like, Hey, you got to come out to LA with me on, on this wave. And she was like, I got all this work to do. And I'm like, you know, come on. And she's like, okay. So she's finding time to work on that, but just having a supportive partner, like there's no way in the world, uh, not just having an awesome best friend who is so supportive, but having a, a, a partner who supports me, whether she's with me or not, um, I just want to say thank you so much, Mariah, for being awesome. I love you so much. Well, before I talk about what's been adding value to my life, Rob, what, what, uh, what has been adding value to your life in Los Angeles these days? Oh, that list is long. No Russian bathhouse on that uh, list? There's a spot that I surf between the Santa Monica Pier and the Venice Pier. And generally, there's a spot that nobody's out. So you sit out there alone and... Almost every time I'm out, it'll happen again tomorrow morning, a pod of dolphins will come through. And often they come through and then they encircle you and you're sitting among, among them. And sometimes they jump out of the water. And sometimes there's like a baby up against a mother. And, and you sort of curl your toes instinctively like because there's just fins and things all around. <laughs> That's the first thing. And the second, and the second thing on a completely different level, is right around the corner from here is a store called The Last Bookstore, which is like something where J.R. Tolkien and J.K. Rowling had a baby that built a store with... It's, 
You all know what I'm talking about, right? You it's can, my, it's you my go favorite in bookstore there, in the country. And then yeah. you come out and it's June or October and you realize you've been in there for a while. It's amazing. It's, yeah. It's a great bookshop. It's definitely, it's if, my favorite bookshop. If you bookshop haven't been, like just going, going there and going to the top floor is totally worth it. And I'm not going to say anything other than that if you haven't been there. Just go over there and go to the top yeah. floor. It's freaking awesome. Yeah. It's a good shop. Well, you know, there's an album that I listen to. Uh, it's called Drinking from a Salt Pond. And every time I listen to it, it makes me think about Los Angeles. Like, it sounds like Los Angeles. And it's by a band called Run River North, who, just, who were, were, we were grateful enough to, they, they opened up for us tonight. And we want to bring them out onto the stage to sing one song from that album. It's called Runner High. Hey, everybody. So we're big fans of their music, and uh, we've never had a chance to see them live until tonight. And so this was just really a ploy so that we could get to see you live in concert. Thank you so much for being here tonight. Tricked us. Thank you for having us, man. Um, yeah. We're, we're going on tour in like three days, and my wife is like, why are you not at home right now? So I need, to, I need to have a good excuse when, I, when I'm done with this song. Uh, this song is called Run or Hide, and um, it's off. Thank you for saying that it sounds like L.A. We, um, that feels really good. Thanks. Appreciate that. Uh, we don't really hear a lot of uh, the compliments. We just play shows, and then we get out. So feels good. Um, the song is called Run or Hide, and um, yeah. Shadow, shadow hanging over me Shaking the ground Your footsteps, footsteps calling out my faces keep rolling by me now I don't understand lines in my hand all look the same all look the same I think I changed my mind about a million times oh to run or hide to run or hide I'm gonna call this out I'm coming back somehow I won't run or hide, I won't run or hide Lions tearing apart, I see them breaking, breaking But I can't let them starve, so I let them in I feel them, feel them tearing up my skin I think I changed my mind about a million times Oh, to run or hide, oh, to run or hide I'm 
gonna call this out I'm coming back somehow I won't run or hide I won't run or hide Run or hide Run or hide Run or hide The lions that you hear You only give what you get You're trying to keep this in spit it out spit it out the lions that you hear you only give what you get you're trying to keep this in spit it out spit it out i think i changed my mind about a million times oh to run or hide oh to run or hide i'm gonna call this out i'm coming back somehow i won't run or hide I think I changed my mind about a million times. Oh, to run or hide, oh, to run or hide. I'm gonna call this out. I'm coming back somehow. I won't run or hide, I won't run or hide. Run And oh, by the way, I think they, they got a parking ticket during uh, soundcheck. So uh, if you want to get that album at their booth, I think it'll help pay for that <laughs> a after the show. Um, they also have uh, a new EP, EP call out called uh, Superstition. So you can check that out as well. Uh, let's wrap it up real quick. I want to th say thanks to the Belasco Theater for having us here in Los Angeles. Look at this amazing place. You saw the gal with all the books. She was, she, she'll be back there. Her name is Jess. Um, we'll be hanging out in about 20 minutes or so. We'll come and, and do hugs and photos and all that stuff. But Jess handles all of our social media. We bring her on the road so that we don't have to stay addicted to our phones. Um, we're really fortunate in, in that respect. So I want to give Jess a round of applause. Thanks, Jess. She also runs the minimalist.org meetup groups and, and does a bunch of stuff for, for the minimalists. Also recording this tonight, the man behind the minimalism, he really does everything. He's our tour manager, our podcast producer, and uh, all around outstanding guy. His name is Sean Harding. We call him Podcast Sean. And of course, what'd y'all think of Rob Bell? He's a great human being, and we're grateful you decided to spend the time with us tonight, Rob. Thanks for being on the stage. We really appreciate it. Yeah, what an honor. Thank you. And most important, I want to thank you. 
I know it costs some money to get in here, which enables us to rent theaters and, and do some really cool stuff with this. We can't show up with 600 people to a coffee shop anymore these days. It just wouldn't work out. But uh, really grateful you decided to spend some money to, to be here tonight. But more important, you gave up your two most precious resources tonight. You gave up your time and your attention. And we're grateful for that. And if you leave here with just one message, we hope it's this. Love people and use things because the opposite never works. Thanks for being here, y'all. Thank you so much, LA. Thank you so much. Hi, this is Terry Porta. I'm an artist in Billings, Montana. I just uh, found your blog, and it's just very much a breath of fresh air. I want to thank you for that. I also want to encourage all those parents out there. My husband and I just embarked onto the minimalist. Um, well, I've been doing this in my life in little ways and suddenly becoming so anxious over all the clutter in my life and didn't know what to name it. And then suddenly someone, I don't know where I found it, but the minimalist like came up and I found you guys just literally bumbling around in the, on the internet and trying to find anything I could about decluttering and just, you know, downsizing. And But we have a young son who's seven and a few weeks back he got in really big trouble and for, for being in trouble, <laughs> I actually um, went into his room, which he's a little inventor and he's a boy, so he, he collects a lot of stuff. Everywhere he goes, he finds a treasure. And I went into his room with trash bags and put every single blasted thing I could find and put my hands on in trash bags. He was there. And it, because it was such a big punishment for what he did, he had gotten the most severe punishment. Well, inadvertently, we had minimalized his entire room. <laughs> all he had was wood floors, his bed, and his clothes, which were all organized. I mean, we literally took everything. And he was going to earn them back, and, and slowly over time, what he earned back, he could keep or whatever. But it was just like, this is, that's the end of the straw. Well, we were so surprised and scratching our head because he stopped even wanting to earn it all back. He loved his room all nice and clean, and he wanted just some real basic things that he truly loved. He wanted those back. So he worked hard and got those back. But after that, he stopped even asking us about it. And even today, like if his room is a little bit too cluttered, he will sit there and he, this is not his personality. I mean, he's not a clean person, you know, by nature, but it seemed like to us that he didn't even like living in that just constant clutter all the time. And just being seven years old, I mean, he doesn't even know his, the full scope of what he did for us, but going into his room made us sigh with relief. My name is Carly. I'm calling from Selma, California. I also had a terrible childhood that I'm just now starting to um, heal from. Uh, and I am remembering that early on I began to collect sentimental things, letters, friends, clothes, letters from friends, excuse me, clothes, um, etc. early on, things that made me feel good because I didn't a lot of the time. My dad also collects many things, pictures, videos, albums, guitars, Asian decor, Native American decor, etc. And I always, I really didn't like that about our house. 
Um, in my adult life, I also discovered that I'll keep the last cookie or, or the last bit of popcorn just in case, and then I have to throw it out. Um, and that's a problem. So anyways, I, I, to explain my situation a little bit, I'm a 26-year-old single mom of two girls, ages two and five. I'm a full-time student, have been since my youngest was six weeks old. I have no income. I'm going to be filing for bankruptcy. Um, and I just want a journey of finding out, finding, figuring out how to be happy, just being in the present and enjoying life alone by myself and and to show my girls love and how to enjoy life and love themselves intrinsically, not because of what they have or what they look like. Um, As I began this emotional journey of letting go, a dear friend contacted me out of nowhere after years of not speaking and saying, Carly, I need to come see you. I know something's telling me I need to come see you. So she came and she saw my house and she was just started helping me box things up and um, teach me uh, how to arrange things in a way that's that's positive for feng shui, et cetera. And that led me to your podcast. You two are on my mind daily, um, Josh and Ryan. I love your pithy answers because I can remember them, and they help me not buy something, um, or to, they help me go ahead and toss something, um, the 2020 rule, et cetera. Hi, Josh and Ryan. This is Ashley from San Francisco, California. I'm a huge fan of your website and podcast. I have an essay topic for you. Write a letter to your 25-year-old self and a letter to your 45-year-old self. It doesn't have to be those exact ages. I'm going to try to, to try the same exercise with myself. What I'm curious to see is the wisdom that I've hopefully gained in the past decade, and more importantly, the hopes that I have for my future self so I can start living up to that version of myself now. I just thought I'd share this idea with you both in case you found value in it. Thank you for all you do, and keep up the great work. Hey, everybody. It's Joshua Fields Milburn. And I am Ryan Nicodemus, and together we are the Minimalists. And we're going home to the Midwest soon. We are indeed. We're bringing the Less Is Now tour back to Indianapolis, Cincinnati, Columbus, and Cleveland. It's our old stomping ground. We're looking forward to seeing you. We're going to give an in-depth talk about minimalism. We're going to record a live version of the Minimalist podcast. We're going to answer a bunch of folks' questions along the way. And, of course, free, totally optional hugs afterwards. Now, whenever we visit a city, we're not just on the Less Is Now tour. We're on a different kind of tour. Yeah, we're also on the museum tour, the Thai food tour, the best coffee tour. So if you have any recommendations, we would love to hear them. Just leave a comment below and let us know what your favorite spot is. Yeah, and we'd love to see you there. So if you're in Indiana, you're in Ohio, or if you're in any of the other 40 cities that we're going to this year, head on over to lessisnow.com. You can find all the tour dates, all the theater information, ticket information. We're looking forward to seeing you soon. We'll hug you soon. Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Every little thing that you gotta have Every little thing that you gotta have You gotta reach for, and you 
got it grand, oh, I bet that you'll be fine without it. So take your eyes away, or take. 